Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, September the 30th, 2023. It is currently 3.54 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Saturday afternoon. Stop what you're doing, and I would just like to ask you a very simple question. At this very moment, what do you need the most? Law or gospel? Right now in your life, whatever is going on, do you need to hear the law right now to break you over your sin, to show you your sin, to drive you, in a sense, to the cross, to to, to show you how guilty you are. Are you just living smugly in your sin, living securely? Or do you do you feel the weight of it? Well, what is the current reality? Or do you need to hear the words of the gospel that Christ came to die for sinners, that in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and removed as far as the East is from the West? Do you need law or gospel? That's a question that I think I'm going to be presenting on every episode moving forward in this ongoing series on law and gospel. I did receive a number of emails from people who have not thought of this as so much dealing with themselves. Like, hey, every day you need to realize, what do you need? Some Look, sometimes you need to hear the law. Sometimes you need to be convicted. Sometimes you need to be broken. Sometimes you need to be humbled. Sometimes you need to realize your condition. And then there's sometimes you're so aware of your condition. You know your struggle. You know your guilt. You know all of the, the things that are going on inside of you or, or what things you're doing, whatever the case may be, internal, external. And sometimes you just need to hear that cry. Christ came to die for sinners. Christ paid for your sin and that by faith in Jesus Christ, his obedience, his righteousness is imputed to you and you're secure in him and in him you're perfect, you're holy, you're righteous, and you're obedient. This this proper distinction between law and gospel, such an important uh, topic throughout church history and one that now we have dedicated well over a hundred hours and trying to to figure out the proper distinction between these two. Just a quick reminder, you know we are currently using the book God's No and God's Yes by C.F.W. Walther, the proper distinction between law and gospel. We're also utilizing Issues ETC. Uh, that's a Lutheran program. It's a podcast slash radio program. They're doing their own work on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Oh, yes, and they're using C.F.W. Walther. They're using his full lectures. We're using kind of the summarized lectures in God's No and God's Yes. Again, everyone should get a copy of this. And we've been working on this and working on this and working on this. And we, I think we, we did a lot of understanding it theoretically. We, we, we did a lot trying to understand this hermeneutically, understanding it theologically. But then we kind of turned a corner and started really focusing on what this means practically to your life. Because sometimes you are so broken over your sin and, and, and sometimes all Christians can do is add more condemnation upon you and add more law. And, and know that when you're broken, you need the gospel. And when you're living securely in your sin, you need the law. And we've talked about that. So I really want you to consider that. Now, if you, if you were with us in our last episode, now you can go to theologycentral.net, go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section. 
theologycentral.net, you will see Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. You need to read Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. It is a beautiful letter, and it's all about the practical application of the proper distinction between law and gospel. Here is this gentleman by the name of Spalatin, and he is broken and crushed under the weight of his sin, and Luther brings him the gospel. It's a beautiful letter. It's a pastoral. It's it's just, it's, everyone should read it. It's Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin, S-P-A-L-A-T-I-N. And you should definitely read it and uh, think, I, well, especially sometimes within the Lutheran world, a lot, a lot of people may try to even memorize the letter because it's so powerful. So we've got it right there for you, theologycentral.net. Go to the blog section, Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. You should print it out. You should read it frequently. You should keep it there with you just all the time so that you can at least see a practical application of this theoretical concept of the proper distinction between law and gospel. And obviously, I cannot even begin to unpack the hermeneutical implications of the proper distinction between law and gospel, because time and time again, especially, I cannot speak around the world, but in the American church, we take passages that are clearly law, and we don't preach them as law. We preach them almost as like, hey, you can do this, but no, the law is not... The law is there to show you you can't. The law is to condemn you. The law is to drive you to Christ and that you seek a righteousness that comes from apart from the law, but comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ, who did keep the law on your behalf. But we we won't go back into all of that. There's just so much to cover after a hundred plus hours of talking about all of this. But hey, it's Saturday. So here's what we do. On Saturday, we gotta, we gotta finish up what we've been working on and try to wrap everything up so that on Monday, we have a fresh start on all of the different podcasts that we're working on, the Bible pop quiz, all the other things, today's focus, everything else that we're working on, right? Um, we're, we're getting ready to start a Bible uh, study exercise on the tabernacle. We're, we've got to finish up our series on dispensationalism. Oh, so many, we've always have so many things going on. So I want, since we are working on, trying to finish this review of an episode of Issues ETC, we've got to finish their last segment. And remember, Issues ETC is a radio program. So they have commercials. They come in from the commercial. They do a little small segment. They go out to a commercial. Then they come back in, do another little small segment. Obviously, we don't want to play all the commercials and all of that. So we're just taking these very little small segments and we're using it for an ep- for each episode. The- these go by very fast, but they, they give us something. Now, he's just going to wrap it up because he's been talking about Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. And uh, of course, uh, he's also working on CFW Walther's uh, thesis. Uh, the 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel, but he's kind of left that a little bit and he's more focused on these letters written by Martin Luther. So we're just going to have them finish this up. This is going to be a short segment. It's probably, I know it's less than 10 minutes long. It's probably around five minutes, maybe six minutes. Uh, So we'll do our typical review, analyze, critique, you know, uh, you know, breaking in as we always do. Remember the rule, uh, whenever I do reviews, we don't listen to them first because then it comes across as rehearsed and planned. I like to react to it in real time with you. And it's like we're listening together and we're trying to figure this out. So are you ready? Are you ready to do this? We have a small set. It's going to go by fast. So pay close attention, right? Close attention. And again, he, he's, he's going to wrap up Martin Luther's letter to Spalatin. He's going to wrap it up. And uh, well, 
Let's see what he has to say. Here we go. Remember, they're coming out of their commercial break. They're coming out of the commercial break. So you're going to hear their theme music right here at the beginning. I always have the volume way down on their theme music because I don't know where they got their theme music from and copyrights and all of that. So we'll make sure that's turned down and then we'll bring it up slowly as they come in. Here we go. Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the proper distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of the book, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. There's a little bit more to Luther's letter to Spalatin. Yeah, it's like this is the wrap-up paragraph. Behold my faithful heart, dear Spalatin, in dealing with you and speaking to you. I shall consider it the greatest favor that I have ever received from you if you allow the comfort which I am offering you, or rather the absolution, pardon, and restoration of the Lord Christ to abide in you. If you do this, you will, after your recovery, be forced to confess yourself that you have offered the most pleasing and acceptable sacrifice to the Lord by your obedience. For Psalm 147, verse 11, it is written, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. And again, Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of broken heart and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. And in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Therefore, let the accursed devil with his despondency scamper away like a whipped dog, He wants to make me sad on your account. He wants to blast my joy in the Lord. Yea, if he could, he would swallow us all up in one gulp. May Christ our Lord rebuke and chastise him, and may he strengthen, comfort, and preserve you by his Spirit. Amen. Comfort your wife with these and your own more effectual words. I have not the leisure to write also to her. Given at Sites, August the 21st, A.D., 1544, your Martin Luther. Okay, that's just the very end of the letter. You can see he's really trying to offer the comfort here, but I like that absolution, forgiveness, and restoration. If, if the gospel is about what God does for us, not what we do, not what we should do, strive to do. It's what Christ has done for us and his passion and his finished work and his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection and ascension, seated at the right hand of the Father. And by faith, I'm in Christ. I'm seated with him and his perfection, his righteousness is not infused in me. It is imputed to me and I stand perfect in his finished work. If that's really the gospel, then I, then it does look if someone is lost and become saved or if someone's been saved for 30 years and fall into some grievous sin that or any sin. I mean, we, we always have these. I know we, we claim not to be Catholics, but we have our own categories of mortal and venial. You can commit 500 venial. No one cares. You commit one mortal and then everyone it's the end. 
whether venial or whether mortal, no matter how big or how small the sin appears to be in the eyes of everyone else, here's the thing. What we should always hope for anyone who's fallen in sin is that they hear the beautiful words of absolution that your sins have been forgiven because of Christ Jesus. It's you're announcing the forgiveness that is found in Christ. And then there's the, you're announcing it. You're giving them that peace. And then the forgiveness, the actual true forgiveness of your sins, and then restoration that the broken sinner, the one who has hurt himself and Christ somehow can be restored to some level of usefulness, back to some place of usefulness. That is what we should long for and what we should hope for. I, I say it all the time. And 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 I and I'm gonna mention it here, even though it may not be perfectly appropriate at in this one. It's not that it's inappropriate, it's just I don't know if it's perfectly attached to this concept, but because he's just finishing up that letter. Let me make it very clear. We, we talk a lot about spiritual warfare. We talk a lot about that in the church. And spiritual warfare sometimes becomes very Hollywood in a sense that it's something dramatic and you're casting out demons and someone is flopping around on the floor. And we have this kind of very supernatural idea of what, of what uh, spiritual warfare is. We're fighting this and we're fighting that and we're going to go after this. But let me make it clear that there is an, a critical aspect of spiritual warfare that has absolutely been abandoned and forgotten in many churches. And that is in warfare. In warfare, you need the battlefield medic. Right? In warfare, when someone is wounded, someone is shot, someone is hurt, they scream, medic! Medic! And then the medic comes running there, doing whatever they can, right there, you know, right, right there on the battlefield, doing whatever they can to stop the bleeding, anything, so that they can try to pull them back to a, 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 a you know, further back away from the front lines so they can get better medical care and then pull them further back for even more medical care, maybe uh, some type of surgery. Battlefield medicine. We need Christians that never lays down their battlefield medic kit. They've got their, their medicine kit. They got it. They got all of their medical supplies and a backpack, right? They've got that red cross on their arm. And we need every Christian to be completely trained in battlefield medicine. And when someone falls and when someone sins, what we have a tendency to do is want to send the people there to go, well, how did you do that? Why did you fall there? Oh, I can't believe you did. Did you hear that so-and-so messed up? Did you? Well, why? Get back up. Hey, you need to do this and 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 this. And you never need to do this. And we start giving the rules and the don'ts and the theirs and the that. And then people just want the information so that they can tell everyone else. And there's gossip and there and there's just nosiness and busybodies and and everyone has an opinion and people making judgments and that's all of those people just needs to be shoved out of the way and we need someone to say we have a brother we have a sister they've fallen how about love covers a multitude of sins and we get down we grab our medical kit and we apply the beautiful medicine of the gospel. And we tell them your sins are forgiven, not because you deserve them to be forgiven, not because you can earn them to be forgiven, not because you can ever do anything, but because Christ did it all. And we apply the medicine of the gospel. Your sins have been forgiven. Christ died for you. In him, you're perfect and you're righteous. And we share that. We need battleful. If we want to talk about spiritual warfare, why do we always leave that part out? 
Because in the Christian life, there will be sin. It may be external. It may be internal. It may be grievous or it may be small. It may be scandalous. It may be private. It may be known. It may be unknown. There will be sin. And every day, you and I need the medicine of the gospel. Every day. Every day, I am grateful that Christ died for sinners. Every day, I'm glad that in him, all my sins are forgiven. In him, I am declared perfectly righteous. In him, I'm obedient. In him, I'm perfect. In him, I'm holy. In my position, I'm a new creature. The old is gone, all is new. In practice, I'm still the old, na- the old nature is still very much present. Spalatin needed a, med- a, med- a battlefield medic. And in this particular case, in this letter, Martin Luther was the battlefield medic. But he knew what it was to be broken and grieve over your sin and to feel trapped and not finding any hope. And religion didn't offer him. They told him to do this, do penance, do this, try this, confess, do this, pray to Mary. Do. They gave him a million rules. And he never found peace until he found that, the, that living by faith, a righteousness that comes from apart from the law, but by faith alone. Are you a battlefield medic? Are you a battlefield critic? Are you a battlefield medic? Or a battlefield gossip? Are you a battlefield medic? Are you a battlefield spectator? And you love to watch everyone else fall and then you laugh and cheer or jeer or whatever you do. Do you seek to destroy or do you seek to pick up? Let's let them finish this up. Wow. That is just one of the most beautiful letters that you could ever hear. And you see why Walther wanted the students to hear it. He especially draws attention to what Luther did with the exegesis of 1 John 3.8. The works of the devil, he says, it's commonly interpreted to signify horrible and gross sins. But look what Luther interpreted as. Hey, man, you're being melancholy. You're being filled with sadness over this. That's a work of the devil. Christ came to destroy the sadness of the devil. And he, he brings it to an end with the very peace and joy of God, the Holy Spirit. Walter said, I wanted to give you this letter in its entirety, hoping that it may be pleasing to you so much that you'll often read it again and again. Think of it particularly whenever a sorrowing, disconsolate sinner approaches you in your pastoral capacity. Read this letter as a preparation for the evangelical treatment which you are to accord to such a sinner. Remember, Luther admits that Spalatin had sinned, but he realizes that at this particular moment, he must not, for God's sake, say anything to Spalatin that might strike his friend in his heart like an arrow. Beautiful. I say Spalatin. He says Spalatin, I think. I say Spalatin, so just so that you know. But First John 3, 8, Spalatin, Spalatin. In fact, let me look at it here. I apologize for that if I'm in, incorrectly saying it. Um, 
Yeah, Spalatin. I guess you could go with Spalatin. Spalatin just looks better to me, but Spalatin is, is okay as well. However we say his name, you can verify how to say it exactly. But First uh, John chapter 3, verse 8 here is, I, I was hoping he was going to say more about it. He went really quick through Luther's interpretation of it. But First John 3, 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy the works of the devil. And he kind of described these works of the devil is that when you as a Christian sin, the works of the devil is for you to be overwhelmed in guilt and despondent and despair with no hope. And you want to give up and you're broken. Christ came to destroy that because you are set free in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You you have no reason to be broken any longer because the gospel well, brings joy and rejoicing because your sins have been forgiven. It's an interesting approach to the text, but but there you go. All right, let, let's continue. There's another letter, much shorter, that is included in this section too. It's actually much earlier. Luther wrote this one all the way back in 1516, which Walter himself is just amazed that the, the, the evangelical aha, had so deeply embedded itself in the Reformer and in those early years. Can I read that one too? Okay. Oh, this, by the way, is to Friar Spenline, and he is a fellow Augustinian. I wish to know, Luther writes, the condition of your heart, whether you have at last come to loathe your own righteousness and desire to rejoice in the righteousness of Christ and to be of good cheer because of it. For in these days... The temptation to presumptuousness is very strong, particularly in those who strive with might and main to be righteous and godly, and who do not know of the altogether immaculate righteousness of God, which is freely given us in Christ. As a result of this, they're searching for something good in themselves until they become confident that they can pass muster before God as people who are properly adorned with virtuous and meritorious deeds, all of which is impossible. While you are with us, You held this opinion, or rather this error, just as I did. For my part, I'm still wrestling with this error, and I'm not quite rid of it yet. Therefore, my dear brother, learn Christ, Christ crucified. Learn to sing praises to him and to despair utterly of your own works. Say to him, thou, my Lord Jesus, art my righteousness. I am thy sin. Thou hast taken from me what is mine and hast given me. What is thine? Thou didst become what thou wert not, and madest me to be what I was not. Beware of your ceaseless striving after a righteousness so great that you no longer appear as a sinner in your own eyes, and do not want to be a sinner, for Christ dwells only in sinners. He came down from heaven where he dwelt in the righteous for the very purpose of dwelling in sinners also. Ponder this love of his and you will realize his sweetest consolation. For if we must achieve rest of conscience by our own toil and worry, for what purpose did he die? Therefore you are to find peace in him, and by a hearty despair of yourself and of your own works. And now that he has received you, has made your sins his, and his righteousness yours, learn also from him firmly to believe this, as behooves you. For cursed is everyone, who does not believe this. Isn't that beautiful too? What I want to take from that has, have, have, I'm going to ask you directly, have you, and then I'm going to ask myself, have I truly reached a level 
where we loathe our own righteousness. We loathe it. We've come to the place where we have, we despair of our righteousness. Have you come to the point where you loathe your righteousness because you know your righteousness, no matter how good you are? You're, I, I know, I know it's built into the evangelical mind in 2023 that we look to our works to somehow prove our salvation. Once again, it's looking to sanctification to prove justification. But if you look to sanctification to prove justification, then justification cannot be by an imputed righteousness. It would have to be by an infused righteousness, which you're right back to Roman Catholicism. Your, your, your sanctification does not prove imputed righteousness. It does not. You're saved by an imputed righteousness. The, if you want to look to works to prove one's salvation, you look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Why would I look to my works to prove salvation? My my salvation is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to look to my works. I'm not going to look to a test that that may be given to me by MacArthur or Jonathan Edwards or anyone else who has their 12, 14, 15 point test to prove that you're saved. No, give me that 15 point test. I'm like, Jesus did all of that for me. I'm saved. Okay. The end. And they won't know what they, they'll look at you like you're crazy. No, that's not the right answer. No, that's the right answer because I, I despise, I loathe my righteousness. My righteousness, even if I was to pass your test would still condemn me to hell because God's law demands perfection, internal, external and heart and mind and word and desire, feelings, actions, and it must be a perpetual obedience. You're always going to fall short. But we take some kind of comfort. We, we take some kind of pride in our own righteousness. Learn to loathe it. Despair. Be, be brought in despair by your righteousness. Realize how, how short your righteousness falls to the standard of God. Realize it, loathe it, reject it. Your, you hope, your, your only hope, your only consolation is found in the, in the righteousness of Christ. Now, Luther is telling this Augustinian monk who he was writing to, hey, 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 look, you've got to learn to loathe it. Loathe their righteousness. Stop seeking anything from any good works. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ. So whether it's the letter to Spalatin or Spalatin, however you would like to say his name. Um, no matter how you would like to refer, re- reference his name, it, the point is he wrote this letter to that gentleman and he wrote this letter to this other uh, gentleman. Both of them was to try to give them in a practical way, the practical implications of the proper distinction between law and gospel. In a sense, in both cases, Luther was putting on his battlefield medical kit and running out to people who were in sin broken and trying to offer them the words of the gospel and trying to show people that from a spiritual standpoint, loathe your righteousness, despair of it. Don't look to it going, see, I know that I'm saved because I do this and this and this and this. What? You should look at your own, no matter what test someone gives you, if you're even remotely honest with yourself, and that's what the law does. See, what the law does, the law is, here's God's standard. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be ye holy as God is holy. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is law. And immediately when you look at the law, you know what you do? You loathe your righteousness. You despair of your righteousness because you know, I can't, I don't, I can't, I will never, 
I'm never going to come close. So then what do you do? You loathe your righteousness. In a sense, you take your righteousness and you throw it, you throw it away. You throw it in the pit. You take it off and you say, I need a righteousness that is apprehended apart from the law. And that is a righteousness that comes by faith. And then you take, and then you wrap yourself in the imputed righteousness of Christ. And then you're perfect. Then you're holy. Then you're a new creature. We have too many Christians who don't loathe their righteousness. They celebrate it. They flaunt it. They brag about it. They think it proves something. And it's nothing more than fig leaves. When you have somebody in front of you that's despairing because of their sin, and you just preach the gospel to them, and they're like, it's, it can't be for me to come back with, huh, you need to remember that he came only for sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's what he came to do. It's a beautiful passage, and it's one that I've tried to memorize several times. It's, I love having that. I've, I don't know how many sermons I've actually quoted that entire second letter in. It's obviously much shorter than the first. The first would be a little hard to fit into a sermon. So he quotes these two letters from Luther to drive home what point? That any person in the world, no matter the most awful things they have done, when they are crushed and sorry for those sins, they are not to be fed one ounce of the law. To them is to be spoken nothing but the pure, sweet gospel promises, the gospel that announces that in Jesus they have the man who came to be with sinners, who came to bear our sin in his own body on the cross to death, who came to free us from the curse of the law, and who has done so, bearing our sin in his body on the tree, and then delivering to us his own perfect obedience and righteousness in the waters of holy baptism. Beautiful. And there was the sacramentalism of the Lutheran Church. Right? They're going to point you to baptism in order to obtain some of this, right? If you if you take a baby in a Lutheran church, they get sprinkled, and then you hold up the baby and say, welcome everyone to our new brother, our new sister in the Lord, because their, their sins have been washed away. They've been basically regenerated. They've been justified, and uh, now they're saved. We can have a whole discussion about that. I There's major, and then they typically teach, at least in my Missouri Synod church, you can lose your salvation, which then destroys their whole beautiful picture of law and gospel. It really, it just, it destroys it because, and then, yeah, if you can lose something, then it's not by, it's not by Christ alone. The whole thing becomes uh, maddening, but all right, uh, set that aside. Just wanted you to at least hear it if you're not familiar with Lutheran theology. The statement, Christ dwells only in sinners. Walther wants to make sure we don't misunderstand what he's talking about there for the sake of that greater point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, 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 will be, he, he does clarify. We're not talking about, about uh, you know, people who are secure and content in their sins. We're talking about people who are terrified because of their sins. They see how they have failed in everything that God has given them to do. And they are they're just terrified. And they see their own filth in their own life. And they beg God for his mercy. Those terrified sinners, they are to receive nothing but gospel promise. The others, the sinners who are happy with their sins, they're in the category of those who get nothing but the law fed them. Next time we will take up, you said this is spread out over two mm-hmm. nights kind of far away from one another because there's a big time lag between these two. 
Yeah. What do we expect next time when we take up these lectures again? I think it's it's kind of neat if we stop and think so. In between these two lectures, Walter will have celebrated Advent and Christmas and the Epiphany of our Lord. And uh, uh, then he comes to his 13th evening lecture. That will be on January 9th in 1885. And as he begins working through it again, he still wants to get back to the important things that a, a preacher must do. That, yeah, he needs to be very careful to preach the Word of God in its purity without any kind of adulteration at all, and he needs to be sure that he doesn't kind of hush certain biblical teachings because people might be offended by them. He says, no, that is something that a Christian preacher may not do. He's got to speak the whole truth of God. But it's also important for his effective preaching, for him not only to be able to preach these things to other people, but to be himself a believer, and that it's an horrible contradiction when a pastor himself doesn't experience and believe the things that he's preaching to his people. He's got a lot more to say on that. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director. And there you have it. That concludes this week's work on law and gospel. We're kind of doing really just, we're working through one episode of these a week almost is kind of what we're turning it into. Uh, we're, get, we're getting closer and closer. I think the next time it'll be thesis number nine. Once we get to thesis number 11 or 12, once we get there, we may just then kind of step back into our own picking this up and doing this again because we had already worked through these 11 or 12 theses in the past. So then maybe I'll just... We'll just review certain segments. We won't review all of the episodes broken down the way we have. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the audience feels about it. But I know this. Of all of these episodes that we've done so far, I love that we were introduced to this letter by Martin Luther to Spalatin, Spalatin, however you feel comfortable saying his name. I mean, obviously, there's a correct way, but for some reason today— thought it was Spalatin. I, th- I thought they had said Spalatin. Maybe I heard that for somewhere else. But today they pronounced it Sp- uh, Spalatin, okay? However you pronounce his name, we know this. It's a beautiful, powerful letter. And hopefully you will read it frequently and just see that this is a, an attempt by Luther, whether you, be, whether you agree with every way he does it or not, to take this, what I believe is a very biblical concept of the proper distinction between law and gospel and use it in a practical way. And every single day, you have to take this theoretical, theological, hermeneutical concept and apply it to your life because sometimes you need law and sometimes you need gospel. But I know this, all of us need to be equipped with a battlefield medical kit and that battlefield medical kit has the gospel in it. And we have to be able to run to people who are broken, who are crushed, and who are humiliated. And we need to cover them up with love and present the gospel to them. Now, I'm not saying someone who is secure and comfortable in their sin and say, I have, I'm not, and they won't repent and they don't care. No, no, no. They need law. But we're talking about those who have fallen and are broken and are hurt on the battlefield. We don't need gossips. We don't need slanderers. We don't need reporters. We need battlefield medics to say, in Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And I want you to really understand and think about that concept. All right. Thank you for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And always love to hear you, uh, your, your thoughts your, and get your feedback. And, uh, well, 
much to meditate on this Saturday afternoon. And then on Monday, Monday or Tuesday, never know which day in the week, we will begin uh, our continuing journey through the proper distinction between law and gospel. And hopefully you will continue to benefit from this very lengthy series. Thanks for listening. May God bless you.